I'm Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. Welcome to the 905er. As we mentioned on our Tuesday episode this week, we are focusing on our veterans and the important part that they have played in preserving and protecting our freedoms here at home. Without them, we wouldn't be able to even think about producing this podcast that you're listening to right now. All of us as Canadians, regardless of your political affiliation or belief, owes them all a profound debt of gratitude. One institution here in the 905, the Juno Beach Centre, is working hard to preserve, protect, and promote the legacy and history of the Canadian soldiers who participated in the Battle of Normandy during the Second World War. Today, we speak with Alex Fitzgerald Black of the Centre about their mission and the challenges that they are facing in keeping this important part of Canada alive during the age of COVID-19. Please have a listen. Okay, I'd like to thank uh, Alex Black for coming on the 905 or today. Uh, Alex is with the Juno Beach Centre, headquartered here in Burlington, Ontario. Uh, and I'm just going to throw it over to you, Alex, to uh, maybe just introduce yourself and, and share with uh, our listeners uh, what the Juno Beach Centre is all about. Oh, perfect. So, yes, thanks for having me, guys. Um, Joel, as Joel said, uh, I'm Alex Black or Fitzgerald Black. I have the hyphenated last name anyway. Uh, and I'm the uh, Operations and Outreach Man- Manager at the Juno Beach Centre Association. Now, the Juno Beach Centre Association is the charity that owns and operates the Juno Beach Centre Museum and Education Centre in Normandy, France. And that museum has been open since 2003. And it was the brainchild, the vision of, of a number of veterans, especially one whose name is um, Garth Webb, and he passed away in 2012. But before he did that, uh, let's put it this way. In, by the early to mid-90s, the Second World War and the memory of the Second World War in Canada was not in a very positive place. Um, and he went overseas to Normandy for the 50th anniversary of D-Day. He had landed on Juneau Beach with the 14th Field Artillery Regiment as a lieutenant. And he got there and realized there really wasn't much to mark the Canadian contribution on Juneau Beach on D-Day and in the Battle of Normandy. There were a few memorials to individual regiments, you know, like the Queen's Own Rifles out of Toronto, um, the Royal Winnipeg Rifles, the Regina Rifles, you know, out west, that, that you know, those are some examples, but there was nothing there that told the entirety of the Canadian story on D-Day in the Battle of Normandy and for the Second World War. And so he had this vision to create a museum and cultural or educational center that would kind of fill this void. And so he started fundraising along with uh, his partner, Lise Cooper, who is the widow of one of his fellow veterans, um, and a number of other veterans who came on board and their children um, and they worked to fundraise over, you know, almost a decade to establish the Juno Beach Center. They raised over $10 million and the center was opened on June 6th, uh, 2003, which gave them one year to ramp up for the 60th anniversary. I, I think, you know, it's one of those things you're men- you mentioned about um, the, the, the work of veterans. And I think in Canadian, our collective Canadian imagination, we remember monuments like Vimy Ridge. We remember uh, the the war cemeteries overseas uh, to commemorate the lives lost, the Canadian lives lost uh, in the first and second world wars. But for, a, for such a long time, the, the battle of Normandy, the Canadian perspective on that was lost uh, for such a long time. And the, the, the fact that Canadians stormed the beach at, at, at Juneau 
and we took you know we took the objectives and we 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 played a huge part in the defeat of nazism and fascism and and just something that you know there's there's something we said about you know you know being modest and typically canadian but it's one of these situations that no this is this isn't one of those times this is not the time to hide our light under a rock so to speak so you know we we heard when we heard that this uh institution was being done and it was headquartered here in burlington it was something that we just thought no that's people need to hear more about this absolutely um you know vimy ridge is is an interesting conundrum for canadian history it's it's so mytholo- mythologized. There's there's kernels of truth to that myth, but they make so, for such a compelling story, and I think that's part of the reason why Canadians kind of tend to gravitate towards Vimy Ridge. Vimy Ridge is special from the sense that the entirety, pretty much, of the Canadian active army that was fighting overseas, you know, they all fought on the same day. All four divisions advanced together. the The First World War was a much more let's call it a concentrated war for Canada in that the Western front is kind of the most important thing for Canada. And that's where most of our effort went, at least in terms of on the front lines. Um, With the second world war, it's much more complicated than that. It's a global war. It's a war that sees Canadians, you know, serving not just in huge numbers in the army, but also in the air force and the Navy and the Navy and the air force are, are, you know, even though the army didn't really get going in terms of major combat until Hong Kong in 41 and Dieppe in 42, and then later in 43 in Sicily and Italy, the Air Force and the Navy were, you know, fighting, the, there were Canadians in each of those services fighting the war from its very first days. And there's, and but, but, the, but the reality of the Second World War as well, because it's such a global conflict, because there's so many battles to talk about and they're not concentrated necessarily on one front, it's less easy to tell that kind of concentrated national story where everybody contributed to this one victory. Even at Juneau Beach, and we had an incredible contribution at Juneau Beach, uh, there were uh, 14,000 or more Canadians who landed on Juneau Beach. There were about 500, uh, or sorry, uh, yeah, about 500 Canadians with the 1st Canadian Parachute Battalion who parachuted into Normandy, um, you know, late, you know, on the night of the 5th and 6th. Um, at the end of the battle, by the end of the Battle of Normandy, uh, about 90,000 Canadians had served in the Battle of Normandy. 5,500 were killed. Some 18,700 were wounded. The Battle of Normandy was very, very bloody. I mean, if I put those numbers up against the entirety of the Italian campaign, which lasted from mid-43 to February 1945, the numbers are pretty close. Uh, And then we're talking in Normandy just a three-month period. But with the Second World War, again, because our effort is so dispersed, it makes it more difficult to tell that one, you know, that there's that not that one really crucial battle that everybody can point to. I think Juno Beach is probably the closest we can come to that, and it's the most. The other thing that's important about remembering a battle, um, and this is what Tim Cook says in in his latest book, fabulous book called "The Fight for History," and I encourage both of you to pick it up um, and and read it this Remembrance Day, and any of your listeners is, you know, Vimy Ridge is a very prominent piece of ground. It's a ridge, and they built a beautiful monument on top of it. Juno, you know, the equivalents in the Second World War are not as obvious. Um, You know, Dieppe for a long time kind of captured Canadians' memories 
and that's very a very visual thing. You can kind of picture Dieppe, you know, this like seaside village, the town, I should say, it's not really a village, it's much bigger than that. It's a, technically a city, I think. But, you know, you, you can picture that between the cliffs and it's very easy to imagine that battle and it's just for one day. Juno Beach is close to that as well, but it's connected to the wider Battle of Normandy that goes on for 76 more days. And so again, it's kind of harder to concentrate you know, we, we tend to concentrate our memory around Juno Beach and around D-Day. That's when the big um, commemoration happens. But we're really honoring, you know, the entirety of the Battle of Normandy and the, the sacrifice Canadians made, which was, was was quite high. And of course, moving on from that, the invasion of Europe, in effect, and the continued battle right through into until the eventual sort of victory in Berlin. So, You've what you've done is astonishing, and I'm just looking at your website here and the the, the beautiful building that was uh, made. So the the, the uh, initiative behind the the entire Juno Beach Center seems to have been uh, uh, Garth Webb, who uh, you mentioned at the start was, was a was a veteran himself. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about him and and what he uh, achieved uh, in essence through through uh, putting the, the the center together absolutely so maybe i'll i'll start kind of from the beginning so garth was born in in calgary um or sorry sorry correct correct that garth was born in in midland ontario and then grew up in calgary uh, alberta he um joined the canadian army uh in the in, i believe it was in 1942 um, yes, he joined the Royal Canadian Artillery, so branch of the Canadian Army in 1942, and he became an officer. So he was a lieutenant um, in C Troop of the 14th Field Regiment. And on D-Day, the 14th Field Regiment uh, was one of three field regiments uh, that was uh, part of the 3rd Canadian Infantry Division, and that was the division that went ashore on D-Day. And they actually had self-propelled guns. Uh, so these were American-built M7 Priests, which were guns, you know, usually a, usually um, a field regiment has um, a gun that's towed by a tractor or a truck. Um, and these guns, you know, they kind of, they're actually built on the chassis of a, of a tank and the, and the gun is there instead of like a turret. And so they came ashore on D-Day and had a pretty uh, uh, bloody time of it. Uh, early on, uh, they got hit. Uh, some of members of his, uh, his, uh, his battery uh, were killed in an ambush uh, when an 88 gun opened up on them as they were setting up in an open field just kind of inland from the beach. And so there's an interesting story to that, and I'll, oh, I guess I can come back to it. But basically, you know, there was nothing there to honor, you know, his regiment and that sacrifice on the day either. But he still set out to, to with this vision for the wider Canadian sacrifice and the wider war to commemorate it and mark it. And it wasn't just Garth alone, you know, it was his vision that, that kind of got things started. But in the, in the mid-90s and kind of, you know, leading into the early 2000s, this was a time when uh, Canadian Second World War veterans were obviously now in their retirement years. They had a bit more time on their hands. You know, they'd, they'd come back home and they'd help build the modern Canada, you know, building businesses, um, you know, uh, continuing to serve in the military in some cases, um, but, but just generally, you know, setting the setting the path forward for the Canada that we inhabit today. And uh, basically, in the mid '90s, the mid '90s, Canada did start to wake up to the Second World War because the veterans were now in retirement age, because the veterans did start opening up more about their 
war experiences, but also because of the major anniversaries, the 50th anniversary in 1994 of D-Day, and then the 50th anniversary the year later of the liberation of the Netherlands. And when the Canadian veterans went back for, for that anniversary in particular, they were welcomed, you know, with open arms by the Dutch. And it really it really made Canadians wake up when they saw, you know, CTV news, you know, carrying these, these stories about how much gratitude there was over in France and in uh, the Netherlands for what the veterans did. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things I think we forget on Remembrance Day sometimes is we do talk a lot about, you know, it's we remember the soldiers who fought for our freedom, but it's freedom overseas as well. Right. That's, that's, that, that's something that's very important. Um, to the Juno Beach Center, and to that's why you know a big part of this this commemorative effort in Normandy at the Juno Beach Center. It's kind of a fusion of uh, Canadians re- remembering uh, what their you know grandfathers or fathers did, and the descendants, and still in some cases the actual people who were liberated over there. And so Garth really got together and brought together these groups of people to to help raise the money to build uh the center and it was at a time when veterans were really trying to fight for their history and to get their history recognized and so this is the Juno beach center is one kind of shining example of where the veterans kind of stood up and said you know we don't there there is no national war memorial there still is no national war memorial in canada for the second world war the 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 dates for uh, the Second World War, 1939 to 1945, I believe, were only added to the National War Memorial, uh, the response in Ottawa, in 1982. So it took, you know, almost 30 years. And that, and again, and there were proposals to create a national memorial in Canada, and those have never come to fruition. So this was a moment, you know, uh, some 20 years ago now, where the veterans were banding together and trying to figure out, you know, we need to fight for our history. Here's how we can do it. And they they put their mark on Juno Beach with the Juno Beach Center. You know, uh, the center in in France is I've never been. Uh, I probably won't go this year due to the pandemic. Uh, but you know, it, it from what I've seen online, uh, it, it really is a, a, a very beautiful looking building. Um, but I, I wanted to, to kind of touch upon something you just mentioned about how when the our veterans went over to Holland and to to France to, to Normandy and they were welcomed with open arms you know, you know to today we all live with like the stereotype of oh everybody loves a canadian right we're we're such a, a likable lovable people and i think sometimes it gets lost that this is kind of where that stereotype began was this wasn't just people just like oh you know canadians are so lovable it was because you know our we had 18 16 18 year old boys and they were boys um marching through uh you know the the dikes of holland to liberate the the dutch from uh nazi nazi uh nazism and you know that that's it i i'm i it's a connection that we that we have with the the french the british uh the dutch and the europeans and it's something that you know we i think we 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 don't we take it a bit for granted uh on this side of this side of the pond if you will that we we don't really we don't really owe, owe up that much to uh, to our contribution and our, our literally our blood ties to to the the people of Europe. 
It's, it's an important point, actually. I'll just chip in if you, sorry, if you don't mind quickly. I mean, I, obviously, you can tell from my accent, I'm, a, a, I'm an immigrant here. I grew up in Britain uh, and now very proudly a Canadian. Um, but um, it's, it's, it's an important difference that, that, that Canadians have almost always, when they've been called on to serve, been serving in the interests in some ways of others, um, because Canada wasn't uh, in any immediate threat from Germany or from Japan. Uh, but when called upon, uh, Canadians went, you know, uncomplainingly uh, and with enthusiasm to to serve overseas against fascism. And uh, uh, and that that's, that's a big deal. Uh, it's something, it's definitely something to be uh, uh, very proud of. Um, and in this kind of age where, you know, certainly uh, current, politics and history can seem very selfish uh, at times to think of uh, those people who were just willing to up sticks and go to a, to a foreign country thousands and thousands of mile, miles away and and risk their lives and often give up their lives uh, in pursuit of democracy and freedom is, is really a, an astonishing thing. And it's, it's, it's obviously so important that we uh, teach each new generation of, of that of that fact uh, and the distinct aspect of it that that is uh, that is Canadian in that it's it's a really interesting couple of thoughts that you've you've put into my mind here uh, Roland um, one is just the fact that there were about a half million Canadians who served so there were 1.1 million Canadians who served during the Second World War in total in the Army Air Force Navy um, I believe the Merchant Marine is included in that as well. About of that number, about half of them, about uh, half a million, served in the UK at one point or another. Whether they were, you know, using that as a transit to get to somewhere else in the world because it still was the center of the British Empire, or whether they were there defending it, you know, in the air at sea, um, you know, potentially on land. It never really came to that, of course. Uh, but but that's what the Canadian Army would have been doing in you know 1941 had anything you know had a German invasion happened. Um, the other thing is you know. The Second World War is a major point of transition for our country in Canada as well, because during that conflict, you know, you, you, the motivations of, of Canadian soldiers and, and sailors and airmen kind of vary, right? You've got a bunch of people who, as you've kind of suggested, they don't really have a connection to the mother country, and, and they're, they're, they're just doing it because it's the right thing to do, or maybe it's, maybe it's uh, you know, we were coming out of the Depression, so maybe it was, you know, there was a financial aspect to it. Who knows? There's, there's so many different reasons. A lot of veterans you talk to will say, well, everybody else was doing it. You know, my entire high, high school class was joining up, so, you know, all the guys were gone, so I had to do it too. Um, but there's also, you know, those who did have connections to the mother country. And in fact, because the Canadians spent so long, especially the Canadian Army, um, in, in Britain uh, during, you know, between kind of 1939 and 1944, um, there's some incredible connections that were had there. You know, one is, you know, a lot of these people had relatives who lived in the UK. And so they got to go, you know, on their leave, they got to go visit them. Um, so many of them ended up marrying <laughs> British women. <laughs> and it's an interesting, it's an interesting statistic I always point to. So approximately 45,000 Canadians were killed during the Second World War. Um, but we actually gained more almost as many war brides uh between 19 uh between 19 uh yeah we actually almost as many it was like something like 41 or 42,000 and that doesn't even include the children because of course there were about 20,000 children as well that came out of that and now not all the war you know those those are the war brides who actually came to Canada 
and not all of them stayed. You know, some of them had difficult you know times adjusting, and and or you know maybe their husbands didn't weren't quite truthful about you know what they were getting into. You know, going to some farm in rural Alberta. You know, who knows? But regardless, it's just an interesting point of connection with Britain. And then shortly after the war, you know, and even during the war, we are moving away from the British sphere of influence and into the American sphere of influence. The very reality that, you know, North American defense becomes incredibly important during the war and Canada has to come to agreements with uh, Roosevelt and his administration about, you know, if Britain does fall, what happens, you know, how, you know, probably the British sails to Canada and what and continues the fight, but what happens, right? And so they had to start taking action to figure out, you know, and those connections really started to build. Um, you know, they were already building before the war, but it, the war was kind of a catalyst to shift our focus to America as well. So it's a, a fascinating topic. What, what, what's, the, what's, the, what's the reaction to the French, those who live in Normandy, and maybe the European uh, continent as a whole to the center? Um, you know, I know we, we have a sense of Canadian pride over, you know, kind of a job well done and, and that, that sense, but I'm wondering, you know, what, what is, what is, what is the, what has been the reception to, from the European people, uh, to this Canadian museum? I think it's, it's incredibly positive. Um, one thing I'll note is that our staff at the museum is kind of half French and half Canadian. So our executive director out there is actually the descendant of people who were liberated um, by Canadian soldiers. So that connection is very strong. Um, um, uh, obviously, we send uh, the Canadian guides over there uh, every year, and, and they're kind of a really big, important part of the Canadian face of the centre, to put a Canadian face on it, to have a Canadian greeting when you show up. And that's part of you know our mantra. We're, we're, we're a museum and education centre, but in some ways we're kind of an informal embassy for Canada in Europe. Um, a lot of people come there to learn about Canada in Europe. We have a... We're, we're kind of separate or special, I would say, from some of the other major museums on Juneau Beach or, sorry, on the D-Day landing beaches because they focus on, you know, D-Day, the Battle of Normandy and a certain component of that, whether it be a national component or whatever. Our museum is about the entirety of Canada's war effort, and it's also about Canada's place in the world. And so there's a lot of uh, French school groups that come to our museum, French families that come to our museum to learn more about Canada. Um, on the same note, uh, Juneau Beach in Normandy is, is a beautiful tourist destination, uh, and it's much closer to places like Belgium and the Netherlands than Canada is, more accessible. You can do kind of a weekend vacation, you know, to, to Normandy. Um, and actually, that's something we've seen, uh, you know, earlier in the pandemic, um, even though uh, we had to close for some time and then we were open again. Uh, over the summer, we had a lot of groups coming in from Belgium, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands because it was their kind of opportunity. They could still travel within Europe, and and it's it's a place for them to come. and And we actually have uh, Dutch Dutch language accessibility at the museum for that very reason. And so, it's not uncommon that we get um, groups from all over Europe to come and learn about Canada. Now, you you mentioned there COVID, of course, which which casts its shadow over absolutely everything at the moment. Um, how how is that affecting you? And uh, I, you know, part of your your remit is obviously fundraising. I, I presume to to maintain the museum. Uh, how uh, are you um, are you struggling because of COVID to 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 
make your usual kind of targets? Yes, absolutely we are. Um, so that last year in 2019, uh, because it was the major anniversary, um, the museum did 100,000 visitors, which was a record for us. Um, we were really excited about that and the potential for the uh, 75th anniversary of the end of the war to do equally not equally well this year, but you know, ninety thousand visitors was our was our estimate. Unfortunately, COVID nineteen forced the museum. There was a lockdown in France back in you know the early spring, and so the museum was closed between mid March and June fifth. Thankfully, we were open for June sixth, which was just a, an absolute blessing because we never expected that to happen, but we got the go ahead. The, the museum was open over the summer, but of course, you know, with with COVID nineteen, you know, safety and health measures in place. Uh, but that limits the number of people, A, who are coming to the museum, uh, just generally, and B, the number of people who can be in the museum at any one time. Um, so we were open over the summer, you know, did okay. Uh, but now uh, the French, French is, the, the, sorry, now France is in lockdown once again for at least the month of November, which is really a shame because Remembrance Day is not maybe a big attendance day. You know, it's November's not like we're off season now. So November's not a huge month, but Remembrance Day is still usually a, a decent attendance day. And usually we have a ceremony. Now, there's not going to be a major ceremony this year. There's going to be, you know, our executive director out there is going to lay a wreath and we're going to film that and, and put it on social media. But that's about all we can do because they're locked down. They can't invite anybody to come. Um, and observe. And it's really unfortunate because one of the things we had planned is, um, and this leads into kind of how we're responding to this, um, is we're, we're kind of pivoting the way we do fundraising. We have a number of established programs that still work even with the pandemic. Uh, we have commemorative bricks that are the bricks that essentially built the Juno Beach Center where people can honor, you know, a veteran uh, or, or, or someone close to them who served. We also have a new flag sponsorship program whereby uh, people can uh they can uh, go online and, and uh, get a flag that flew at the Juno Beach Center, and we'll we'll ship it to, to you as uh, the, as a thank you for for your donation. So we have those two programs; they're still operating. But in terms of major other fundraising, you know, we had to pivot. And so one of the things we did is we teamed up with VR Pro, which is a a race um, a race a business that does really great races uh you know running uh that sort of thing in the burlington area and beyond and they've switched to virtual races as well and so we're doing the remembrance day races which are a series of virtual races raising money for the juno beach center and uh, those have been quite successful we've raised uh pretty much i think we just we're just about to pass sixty thousand dollars raised uh there and so that's been you know really kind of we're really grateful for the support we've received from Canadians in the, at this difficult time. Uh, we have a veteran uh, named Jim Parks who landed not a stone's throw from where the Juno Beach Centre is today on June 6th. And he's actually walking one of the race distances, the Strong Point 1500 metre, in support of the Juno Beach Centre. And he's already raised uh, $10,000. His initial goal was a dollar for every Canadian who, sur- who, who was killed in Normandy. So 5500 He's now at $10,000 and he's hoping to get to closer to $18,000, which is the number of Canadians who were killed, wounded, or missing in Normandy. So we've done a lot of things to try to mitigate uh, the effects of COVID-19. But the reality is if this thing continues, you know, into next year, we're going to be in, you know, the museum's going to be in substantial trouble. If uh, any of our listeners uh, of means are, are, are hearing you right now, what can they do to help, uh, keep this important Canadian institution going. 
Well, uh, I just kind of named off a couple of our, our initiatives there. I would definitely encourage everybody to go to junobeach.org slash donate and check out our various programs. You'll find the flag sponsorship program there. Um, if you go to our website, junobeach.org, you'll also find links to uh, the information about Jim Parks and what he's doing as well. And so you can donate directly in support of his campaign as well. Uh, so those are kind of two of the main ways uh, that people can help us at the moment. Fantastic. And just... The other thing, if I can add, sure, is sure. Um, if, if once the pandemic is over, plan to come and visit the Juno Beach Center, you know, and hopefully this thing will be over in 2022. 2022 is a big uh, commemorative year for Canada. Once again, it's the 105th anniversary of the Battle of Vimy Ridge. And by the way, Vimy Ridge is only like three or four hours away uh, from, by car from the Juno Beach Center. So it's really easy to do both of those. And if you want to take a bit of a detour, smack in almost in the middle of those two sites is, um, uh, the, is Dieppe. And the, the, in 2022, we'll be uh, commemorating the 80th anniversary of the Dieppe Raid as well. And so 2022 is a really good year if you're, you know, assuming the pandemic has passed us by uh, to come and travel and, and visit some of those sites. And the Juno Beach Center would love for you to join us. Well, we really hope that that's, that's possible again soon. And I, I certainly would uh, love to do that. I know uh, it, it's been an ambition of uh, of myself and my wife as well for, for some time to, to uh, you know, be able to visit some of the, some of the sites in uh, Europe. And uh, certainly that would be very high up the list. And uh, in the meantime, certainly encourage um, anybody listening who'd like to donate to, to as I say, go to your website at junobeach.org. Um, which is very easy to remember. And there's all sorts of resources there uh, for, for anybody wanting to know more about uh, the story of Juno's Beach and Canadians in, in the war generally. So uh, it really is a, a fantastic uh, resource. Well, thank you for saying that. You know, we're, 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 we're at a point where a lot of our veterans are passing away. But the, the lesson of the Second World War and, and the importance of trying to avoid something like that happening again, uh, is important to impart, I think, on, on the next generation and generations to come. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, maybe you can t- touch upon maybe a bit more about the educational aspect just to, uh, you know, h- how how do you see your role as empowering the Canadian legacy and imparting the lessons, the hard, the hard-fought, bloodstained lessons that we, that our veterans learned onto our children and our children's children so that, you know, we, we can make better decisions uh, for the future. Absolutely. It's a great, great question. Um, like you said, you know, we're, we're losing our veterans at a very rapid rate. Um, 1.1 million Canadians served uh, in 2019, March, I think veterans affairs did a, did a survey and it looks like back then there were only about 33,000 second world war veterans left. So fewer back then. And of course we've lost a number since then, um, than the number of Canadians who were actually killed during the war, um, which is, you know, quite incredible. We're, you know, I think it'll still be maybe another decade before we lose every single one, but, you know, it's, it's, it's happening rapidly. Um, and yes, that's, that's the mission of the museum. It's to continue on their legacy. It's to, it's to educate people, Canadians, people around the world about Canada's role in the war. And, you know, the second world war is, is, is a bit of an oddity in a, in a sense. I mean, it was a it was it was a necessary war and i think it's it's really important to ask the question you know what is worth all that suffering because even if it was a necessary war there was such incredible suffering uh in the world you know canada was very fortunate 
um, in terms of uh, the war effort, uh, how it kind of uh, evolved, uh, and that we didn't have very many casualties in very, until very late in the war. Um, but other countries, you know, were not you know, so lucky. You know, Russia, Russia's a good example. The Great Britain's another example. Um, you know, Poland uh, is, is another great example. So absolutely, that's the message the veterans leave with us. We have a series of veteran interviews called The Legacy of Honor. And that's, once again, one of the educational resources on our website. So I'd encourage anybody to go check those out. And most of the veterans, you know, end with a message, you know, for peace. Like they say, you know, it's, you know, this was a great adventure. I'm glad I went through it, you know, uh, that sort of thing. But, you know, I hope this never happens again because the, the, the sacrifice that was necessary uh, was, was all too high, as low as it was compared to other nations, right? So absolutely, that's a key component of what we teach at the center. And it's really important, you know, we are not here to glorify war in any way. We're here to just tell the stories and to make sure that people remember. Uh, and it was... A world war. Uh, it was a global effort in which Canada came together with so many other people to fight against fascism and to give up so much in the process to do the right thing in appalling circumstances. And like you say, that that's a lesson we all have to know because goodness knows it seems like um, it seems like the, the whatever there is in the human condition that can give rise to fascism and hate, uh, it's still there. <laughs> and unless we are constantly vigilant, um, it will come back. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's it's more important now than ever, certainly. I know we. I'm just saying what's perfectly obvious, but more important now than ever that we remember this, why we did it, uh, and uh, keep it um, at the forefront of our minds. Absolutely. And I, I think I would add one other thing to that as well. We're going through a major global crisis right now. Uh, it's not the same as the Second World War by any stretch, but people are dying. Um, so there's a couple things I think we can take from our veterans and, and learn from them. One is um, the resilience they showed in the face of uncertainty, in the face of you know a losing war effort in the first couple of years. You know, 1940, 1941, things aren't looking very good, right? Um uh, so there's resiliency, and those are the types of stories that we've been trying to turn to increasingly during COVID-19 to show, like, you know, our veterans were able to step up then. They felt they had a civic duty to do that, and let's do that now. And if that means, you know, you have to wear a mask when you go outside, very, very minimal thing for you to do. You know, you're not signing up to go to fight a war against the Nazis, you know. Um, the, other si- the other side of it is, let's give some thought in this crisis just as the veterans did themselves at the time to how can the world be a better place as we emerge out the other side, we're going to get through this, but how can the world be a better place? How can Canada be a better place? And that's one of the things, you know, there's a lot of really good research on this. And actually a lot of it's been done by, by, by a a British scholar named Jonathan Fennell. And he wrote a book uh, came out last year called fighting the people's war. And in it, he looks at the combat motivation of the Commonwealth armies, you know, British, Canadian, New Zealand, Australian, uh, South African, Indian, you know, what have you. And one of the things he found in his study is that people, the, the soldiers during the war, you know, A, they, they, they tended to vote in the kind of 1945, a lot of the British and Canadian soldiers and, and some of the other dominions as well, they tended to vote fairly left-leaning. They tended to vote for, you know, labor candidates in the case of Britain or in Canada, liberal candidates or the... Uh, 
what was a, the CCF, uh, as the, the NDP kind of used to be called back then, the, the descendant of the, of the NDP. And it turned out the closer you were to combat, the more likely you were to vote for, for a kind of a left-leaning party. That's not to say everybody voted that way. But basically, they were interested in social change, a lot of them. They were interested, okay, we went and did this, you know, we, we, we put our lives on the line to fight this war. What is, what's society going to look like after? Are we going to be left behind like a lot of the veterans were in some cases in the First World War? Or is it going to be better than that? And out of that, at least in Canada, which I know much more about, I mean, Britain was friggin' broke. I mean, uh, you know, they, they carried a lot of the war effort in the early years and you know, they were broke, but Canada actually did very well out of the war because we had this growing industry and, and we had the U.S. as our major trading partner right next door. There was an opportunity there and Canada invested in its veterans, right? They they gave them educational grants. There were grants for them to buy houses and things like that. And we really invested in that generation after the war. And that's part of how we built the better Canada. So my larger question is, okay, as we emerge, there's there's the funding, obviously, to, you know, give us a leg up during the pandemic. But as we go forward, what are we going to do, whether it's at a government level, whether it's at a grassroots level, you know, whether it's at a business level, what are we going to do to make sure we have an even better country and world going forward? And that's, that's something the veterans, um, they fought for a better world. And that's what we always have to do. You know, I think you, you, you touched upon the importance of knowing your history so that we know know where we've been so we can kind of have an idea of where we're going in the future um and you know what i i i'm gonna, I'm gonna think we're gonna leave the episode on that note because i think that's that's kind of where that sums up everything we want to we want to kind of focus on going forward uh, so alex i want to thank you and all your colleagues at the Juno beach center both here in canada and overseas in in normandy for the great work that you're doing to continue um canada's legacy and canada's history going forward uh, we do, we're going to post your, your donation details on our uh, show notes and on our website so people can contribute uh, going forward. Uh, and uh, thank you very much for taking the time to come on th- this week. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, 
Bitcoin and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network. <laughs>